0: that experience is very traumatizing. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get deported, but they literally came to our house. My mom was working in the morning. My dad comes, wakes me up and he's like, Hey, they're going to take me. And I'm like, where are they going to take you, deport you? And I walk out. My two younger siblings are in the house. They put handcuffs on their or feet, cuffs, whatever you call them on their feet. And then they cuff their hands and there's a chain that links them. And oh, yeah. Wow. So, and then, and then at that, after they took him, I'm like, wait, I have to walk back in.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the Untap Potential podcast where we interview local visionaries. Today we have a special guest, Edgar Salamanca. Edgar is the executive director for communities and schools based out of North Central Washington. Uh, and he also owns a screen printing business called Lions Lab Printing that produces apparel for brands like Dript. Um, If you're looking at Uh, the episode. It'll already be past our launch date, but these are the new hoodies that we dropped Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Make sure to check them out. They're super comfy and they're also sponsoring this channel. So Edgar, thank you for coming to the show. A lot of things have happened in your area of the world in the past few months. Um, You are, again, the executive director of this nonprofit program. You have a side business um, you know, you recently got engaged. I mean, there's a lot that's happening for you. I mean, how are you managing everything right now? Like, what's the stress level for you?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm a fan since the beginning. I've seen just about every episode. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of stress management, it's uh, I feel like that's where I thrive. Oh really? (laughs) I feel like Mm -hmm. I've had a conversation with a couple of my close buddies and I think it comes from like the background of being a first generation and really just having a life of like sadly high trauma for the most part of my life and finally being in a situation where I'm okay really Mm -hmm. truthfully it's like I find like how can I stress myself out right so (laughs) it's it's like just throwing stuff on yourself trying to at times really overload but no definitely I think that that's where I'm at my best is where you know, every single day, like I'm, Hey, I have a, I have a timeline, I have a deadline, this and that. So yeah, no, um, it's stressful at times, but really I feel like I've been in that sort of space and energy, uh, my whole life. And I, I like, at times, I'd like it.
1: I want to talk about then a little bit about like how you grew up. Uh, were you born in Wenatchee? Yeah. So I was actually born in Yakima. Okay. Yakima, Washington, right?
0: Pretty much in, in the middle of the state. Shout out Yakima. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shout out Yakima. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, not the best uh, kind of uh, neighborhood. And so my family early found that out. And so we lived in, in one of the more rougher areas of, of Yakima there was a lot of gang violence in the nineties. And so my parents, I had a lot of cousins that were involved in like gang activity and my parents didn't want me to grow up in that sort of energy. And so they actually ended up moving to Wisconsin. Oh wow. So I was raised in Wisconsin Small rural town yeah. we did dairy work. I mean, I've been bailing hay since I could walk. Hold up, Yo, that's crazy. You don't pronounce yeah. it Wisconsin though, like T <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah. T was so there is an accent that comes with Wisconsin. I think I feel like I probably already lost it. Yeah. Um, and so he was just trying to like emphasize that like accent that like Midwest. Oh, or, so
2: the people out there really say it like that? No, no, no. We say oh. Wisconsin. Oh, okay. But but for some reason, like it, yeah, yeah, it okay. kind of sounds like God, it. And so he yeah. over kind of did it. Yeah, I thought he was just trying to find a word that rhymes <laughs> with mansion. He's like, I'll put you in a mansion out in Wisconsin. I was like, what? That too. I, I'm pretty sure it was part that yeah. was part of it too. Song's yeah. a banger though. Oh yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah.
1: So Wisconsin, man, that's a big change. Like, did your family have uh you know family members over there? How did that Yeah? So my dad had a friend, a oh. single friend,
0: that had moved out that way. And so he was like, Hey, there's a lot of work out here. And so my parents did migrant work. So it was oh, seasonal. Oh, I see. Um nowadays I feel like migrant uh, agricultural work has found ways to keep employment throughout the year. But back then it was like winter, you're not working. Oh, interesting. And so it was, it was pretty rough, uh, kind of growing up in, in that sort of in without consistent income. And so there, his friend was like, Hey, there's a lot of work over here, consistent income. And so he moved first, my dad moved first and he was out there for, you know, a couple months. And they're like, Hey, yeah, like this, there's a lot of work. It's consistent so then our entire family moved out that way.
1: Oh,
2: gotcha. How old were you when you moved out there? Uh, First grade. So I'm like six, seven. Oh, damn. So early. But I mean, you were probably already making like friends in kindergarten, first grade. So that move was probably kind of like, I don't want to leave my friends. I'm comfortable Mm, here. You know,
0: No, the the toughest part about that actually was in the school district that I attended to in Yakima, they actually taught Spanish first, unless your parents opted you out. Oh, interesting. So uh, being in a Spanish household, I actually didn't know English, Right, right? I, I could kind of understand it from like friends and cousins and stuff, but I couldn't read or write English. So when I moved over there, I was the, our family was the only family in the entire school district that spoke Spanish. And didn't uh, speak any English. It didn't really speak English. Oh,
2: so how wow. does that work though? If there was like migrant work available where you moved mm-hmm. and there wasn't like those resources, what, what was the reason for that gap? In the school? Yeah. The, the, well, it wasn't a gap
0: until we got there. Oh, there right? just literally wasn't? <laughs> you created wait, the but gap. was there
2: other migrant workers there that were also, like, Spanish-speaking? Or was your no. family literally? You know, we were, were at
0: our school district. I'm sure in other areas of Wisconsin there was, right. right? If you get into, like, Green Bay, Milwaukee, the bigger cities, I'm sure there was. But in our area, we were the first. Our family was the first Spanish-speaking, like, people there. I remember they didn't have like an English learning program for Spanish speaking students. So I remember when I first started, they hired like a teacher who didn't even know Spanish to teach me English. And I would sit there at recess, like next to a window, trying to learn English. And it was crazy because like I remember struggling with the word the, like till this day, I still remember. (laughs) Because in Spanish, you spell things out the way they sound. So to me, the, I was like D-A, duh, right? So it's like D-A, like where's the T and where's the H and why is there an E in this? (laughs) I remember just kind of, so till this day I say that my grammar is bad because they just simply didn't know how to teach me.
1: Were they like frustrated at you? Or like, what was that experience as a kid who couldn't speak English in a school district like that? Truthfully, i never felt different.
0: And I think part of that is because I was the only kid that was different for the most part. And so I remember like the first time That i felt like they knew i was different if you will was like in middle school when kids start taking like foreign languages and so they started taking spanish and so we'd be sitting in the lunch table and they started speaking spanish and i started answering back and i was taking french so they're like wait how do you know spanish and i was Uh. like what do you mean? Yeah, like I grew up with
1: this stuff. <laughs> I, was like, I'm, I mean, I'm Mexican. I, I only speak Spanish at home. And they're like, what?
0: Since when?
1: <laughs> wow, man. So you were kind of accepted as a, as a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. In, in the traditionally conservative state farmer, like you're back to your question about like migrant work. It wasn't, right. it was just farmers. It's like, oh, it's their family. Gotcha. There isn't like a migrant community because okay. it was like local family farmers, like
1: Wow.
2: Well, I that, that brings up my next question. Did you ever feel or did you or your family ever feel like discriminated against in that area because mm. you guys were the only kind of Mexican so, people there? It, kind of a super
0: long story, but I'll make it short. Uh, my dad actually ended up getting deported. Oh, <laughs> in the, Wisconsin? Yeah. So it was just a huge mess. And so um, he actually ended up getting deported and my entire family actually ended up moving to Mexico. So. up to that point in my life i had never really felt discriminated there like i really felt like i grew up with these kids they never saw me as an outcast and by the time that they knew like i was different i guess um i felt like they already knew me as a person so it was kind of too late if you will for discrimination yeah not to say that as other students start coming in like i could hear things right like people would say things but it was never like towards me gotcha um but yeah, so yeah, never really until it was too late.
2: <laughs> what was that like? So you moved to Mexico for a little bit with the family.
0: I so. didn't.
1: Oh, you? Um, oh, you stayed I, back here.
0: I stayed alone. Yeah, I, and that's actually how I ended up in in back in Washington. Um, so my entire so kind of context to why I actually do what I do too. Yeah. Um, when I was a little kid, um, we had gone to Mexico, and my parents are undocumented, so it's very difficult for them to come back. I had some family that would stay, that, that we, when it was time to come back, you know, we had, we would cross the border with some family and they owned a house right across the border oh. and we would stay there and wait for my parents to cross. And I gotcha. remember like, I got like traumatized from that because I was afraid. Like, I remember literally like my mom saying like, Hey, we'll see you guys tomorrow. Like kind of explain the situation. Um, And I remember them having a hard time. And when they finally got across, like they had like scars, you know, because they would walk through like the desert or like all these sketchy things would happen. And so when we got back to Yakima, I remember being so afraid when they would drop me off at school that I would bang on the doors. Sorry. I would bang on like the school doors and the windows. And like, you know, I I was just terrified that, you know, you'd always hear about people getting like packing sheds or fields getting raided by right. ice. Yeah. So I was afraid. I was like, I knew how hard it was for them to get across as a kid. So I was like, Oh my God, like, you know, like one day, like I could go home and no one's there, <laughs> you know? And right. what happens to me then? And so the school actually thought that like my parents were abusing me. Oh. So it got re- like reported. And so, you know, uh, social workers came and they started kind of like investigating or whatever. And then they found out like, no, the kids just traumatized. And so then I had to go to counseling at a really, really young age. And at some point along that, one of my earliest memories of my life is remember telling myself that when I grew up, I wanted to make sure that kids didn't feel that. And if Mm -hmm. they did, I wanted to help them with that because I was one of those kids and that wasn't fair. Like I remember just be like knowing that that wasn't fair, that I felt that. Yeah. And so that has, what's kind of steered my entire life. And so when my dad, ended up getting deported finally. (laughs) So I can always talk about like being resilient and like when you face the greatest fears and challenges in your life, because truth is you probably will at some point or another. So when I finally faced that, I knew the hard thing was to stay here. Mm -hmm. And I chose that because I had made a promise to myself when I was a kid. There's other kids that are feeling this and other kids that are going through this. And I don't want, I want to at least help. And so that's that's kind of the main reason why I stayed. And so um, I finished my last two years in high school with, you know, my family in Mexico. I moved here because I was afraid of judgment and, and racism because it was the craziest thing that ever happened in a small rural town. So it was all over right. the news. Oh, wow. you know, I don't want kids to judge me. And so e- that experience is very traumatizing. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody get deported, but they literally came to our house. My mom was working in the morning. My dad comes, wakes me up and he's like, hey, they're going to take me. And I'm like, where are they going to take you? Deport you. And I walk out. My two younger siblings are in the house. They put handcuffs on their feet, cuffs, whatever you call them on their feet. And then they cuff their hands and there's a chain that links them. And yeah. And then, and then at that, after they took him, I'm like, wait, I have to walk back in mom's at home like what am i gonna tell them you know i'm the oldest too and so right yeah there was a lot of stuff that you know kind of went on how old were you at that time yeah i was a junior in high school so you were about
2: 16 17 maybe so yeah 16 17 wow so this is like a pivotal point in your life when like you're almost graduating high school you're like slowly becoming a man transitioning from like a young boy to a man and you're suddenly faced with this big responsibility of having to be the leader of your family in a sense, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the person you looked up to was just taken away.
0: It, that's, that's exactly what happened. And so I, freak, I, I like all the time in, in Mexican households, being the oldest, it like all falls on you. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember vividly like a lot of family, like always touching base, like with um, like my sister, or my mom. Hey, how are you guys doing? But being the older male in the house or whatever, um, that was never asked. Yeah. So, like, I remember, like, at first, like, it was so hard on me. Like, I would literally not sleep just thinking about things. And I'd, like, wake up and, like, kind of talk to myself in the mirror. I feel like that's what kind of helped me. Like, I remember so many nights like just kind of, like, crying, yeah. uh, talking to myself in the mirror, like,
2: tr- trying to help myself through it. Did you feel like you had a mask your emotions? Kind of like you had to fit that, you know, what I would consider toxic, you know, machismo mentality where, like, toxic you had to, like, be the man in that mm-hmm. situation?
0: honestly no because it, it, in, in, in my house and it, it honestly boils down to my mom like in our house like my dad was never really like that you know you get you get your typical stuff right from like a traditional household um but my dad's mom actually died at a very young age and um so he he uh actually his nickname in spanish is chiche which means like boob because he would wow. when his mom died he would cry asking to be fed which is super messed up but that would be his nickname yeah but it, point is like my dad always kind of like i feel like missed that like female in his life oh. so with him and my mom like he's always like for the most part you know with exception like treated her treated That's her fair good. and so my mom always was like in charge of like paying the bills and stuff so there was never like that weird energy in our house so when that happened point is like it, i never felt like i have to be the
2: Man, right. That's good. So you were able to kind of process your emotions and stuff in a healthy way. You were able to cry and like you felt okay doing that. Yeah, you didn't feel guilty for doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only reason why you would hold back, it's like, oh, my mom's going through so much, or like my younger siblings are going through so much. Like I don't want to add to it. Like I want them to feel like there's somebody like strong that they can lean into. But it was never like I need to be the man. Like it was more like I want to support them Mm -hmm, and like show that there's somebody that's strong and stable for them. Like. have a strong shoulder to lean on versus like a man right Right. so there was that pressure where like maybe i wouldn't cry in front of them just because i wanted them to feel comfortable coming to me like oh he's okay like let me go cry to him
2: Mm -hmm. right gotcha and so what was life after high school for you
0: yeah life after high school i mean it was again my my parents had gone to mexico and so i was living here with an aunt um in in wenatchee and so went to college that that's difficult right um a lot of the time like sports that i was traditionally involved in i had to let go and work i remember in high school i would actually go work in the fields in the mm. morning before school and then i'd go to school and then i was the supervisor at a taco bell oh, so i'd shoot. actually after school i'd go and like the shift doesn't end like i was the closing like manager 2 a.m. yeah so i was like there till 2 a.m. and you got to go in the fields at 5 oh. by sunrise You know so it was like yeah i was sleeping like three four hours yeah wow man it was tough but i mean again at that point it's like my family had moved and i'm like i stayed like i felt privileged compared to like my brother and my sister i'm like they had to like go i'm like i have to make it work and truthfully i i did bad like i struggled through school but there's one thing for sure like i wasn't going to give up and Mm -hmm. so I've, I always say, like, I felt like I was like a goat, you know, and like goats are like climbing. Not because I'm right. the greatest of all time, but literally, you know how goats will like st- on ledges, like on crazy ledges. Yeah, mountain <laughs> goats will like be
1: on, literally on the side of a mountain just with like, you can't even tell what they're standing on. But yeah, I that's literally
0: how I felt like my college experience was. It was
1: just hanging on by a thread. That's great. Did um, <laughs> with your dad being deported before you went to college did you ever consider just not going to college or did you see that as a path of like, yeah, I have to do this now for sure?
0: I mean, yeah, there was a lot of times where, you know, you feel like giving up. Like actually when I used to work at our local community college, Mm -hmm. um, one student once asked me like, Hey, Edgar, did you ever feel like giving up? I was like, yep. Every single day. You know, there was every single day. Like there was so many reasons why I should give up and, I had no one telling me really that school was the right thing, but I just felt like it was the right thing. I was Mm -hmm. like, there's so many, every door that I can open without school. I was like, I can open with school, but school is going to open even more doors. So that was kind of my logic, right? I didn't know if it was the right thing, but I know for sure it was going to open more doors. than if I didn't go to school and if I went to school, all the doors that I could open before school would still be available to me. So it just made sense. I feel like to me right yeah. it wouldn't hurt exactly it, hurt it was that good. type of mentality and it was also like the sacrifice right my family i'm i'm sacrificing we're sacrificing not just me right my, yeah. my family was sacrificing being apart from each other and i felt like that was like a justifiable way where like if i gave up it's like well what was it <laughs> why didn't yeah, it i just leave point. with them yeah. yeah are you well, the
2: first in your family to go to college yeah yeah oh, first
0: true. one and Now my younger brother went to school. And so,
2: yeah. Did you have people to lean on when you went to college? Kind of like, I don't know, like a mentor an advisor that kind of helped you out during those first few years.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I was part of at our local community college. I was a part of the uh, college assistant migrant program. Mm. So I always, yeah, I always tried to look for resources to help. So I always knew I needed help. And, and, And I think it also goes back to my mom, right? Like it wasn't prideful, right? Like I didn't have that toxic, Pride that sometimes you can see in traditional Mexican males. Yeah. So I was always looking for help. I'm like, hey, I need help. There's a bunch <laughs> of stuff going on. Like, yeah. I don't want to give up. Like, help. And yeah. so when I went to to the university, to Washington State University, I was always involved. I was always trying to get a different part of programs. I, I joined a fraternity where, you know, the goal was to empower each other from similar backgrounds. That's, again, back to that story. That's why I joined that fraternity because it was other people experiences like mine and i wanted to help motivate each other to succeed and so um yeah I, I was always looking for help
2: gotcha okay and so you did two years in community college and then you transferred to wazoo right which is where we met right what was that like for you switching out because you know that's a big move you know you're moving out of your hometown to a whole other university people a lot of people that don't really come from your background too mm-hmm. what was that like
0: i actually did again back, going back to being a horrible student right. i did And, and also getting back to your point of giving up, I actually did three years at my community college. Um, and I applied to WSU and I actually didn't get accepted. Oh, the first time you did it. Mm -hmm, Yeah. I didn't get accepted. And so then there's a, the appeal process and it goes back to the camp program, you know, me feeling like, ah, shoot. Like I've honestly, I felt like my world was like torn apart. I was like, dang, like I'm, I let everybody down. I didn't even get accepted. This is the end of the road for me, you know? And so the camp program the 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 academic advisor talked to me like, Hey, no, there's an appeal process. Like we'll help you through it. And, and so, you know, we, we began the appeal process. Um, and I didn't believe in myself at this point I had given up. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? Like not submitting it. This is it. I was actually working as a salesman for uh, a car dealership in town and I was doing pretty good. Honestly, I was making really good money. And so I was like, you know i wanted to go to school they said no i'm not gonna i'm doing okay financially right now like this is it i'll just stick to this and so my fiance shot out my fiance knew my password cuz i have the same password for everybody for everything <laughs> at that point <laughs> mm-hmm. uh one of those things so she knew my password and she knew that i had given up on myself and that i wasn't gonna submit it so she submitted it oh wow move. that's a power, power move so Damn. one day i'm working right like writing up yeah. a deal or whatever and she like calls me and I step out and she's like hey Edgar guess what I'm like what's up she's like you got accepted to WSU and Damn. I'm like no I didn't she's like no yeah you did I was like dude I never submitted the appeal she's all <laughs> like I knew you wouldn't so I did wow so like, I did give up on myself what was your
2: thought when you heard that
0: I, I honestly I started <laughs> crying I was like what wow.
1: Like,
2: like disbelief. Yeah, you know? it was like,
0: dang, like, and it just proved it once again, right? You have to stay resilient no matter what, like, regardless right. on how like much you don't believe in yourself or support, or surround yourself with people that do believe in you, right? Because sometimes you do need that encouragement, and it's okay, yeah. right? so It was just like so real, like, dang, like she's a real one, you know. That's <laughs> crazy, I found her. She's doing a Solid. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: And wow. so Wazoo, you pull up first day on campus. What was that like? Yeah, again, I just
0: wanted to find, like, support. It was so massive, right? Like, it just felt crazy. It felt like I had achieved my dream, really, just being there. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, like, this stadium, you know? Like, the windows in the library. It just felt like just being there was an accomplished dream, really. It felt like this, like, one thing that I sacrificed everything for that I even gave up on myself, and, like, finally I was there. Like, it was just, honestly, to me, it was a position of privilege, just – being there so i was just so thankful i was like i'm not gonna waste this
2: (laughs) yeah yeah and so you did two years there at wazoo three again Three years okay got you and what was that like like what are some lessons you learned during those three years at wsu about yourself yeah i think
0: and, and i see this a lot like i think in life as you're trying to find yourself and figure yourself out um i think that that's the beauty of going to college too it gives you time like a lot of this, the, the younger people that I've seen that don't go to school, sometimes they stay back home, they start making money, and they don't make good decisions because you're not mature yet, right? You mm-hmm. haven't figured life out, really, right. just in general. And so that's the beauty about college is it, truthfully, it does allow you to make those mistakes. And it almost, like, in a way, like with your social groups, it asks for it, right? It asks you to kind of, like, trip on yourself, to go out, to do things that maybe aren't the best choice and the most responsible things to do. Right. But it gives you time to grow mm-hmm. out of that stage. Right. And it's like, then you can come back to society. It's like, okay, go mess up and then come back. Um, but no, I, more than anything, I, I learned to be appreciative. I learned to, you know, be resilient, not give up on myself, keep fighting. And truthfully, like now having a job it learned, I learned to like time management. Right. And it's like, as much as sometimes things suck and like just sitting down sometimes like the, the desk components of like work, it, you learn that. And those are things that my parents as a first generation student couldn't teach me. I, or right. my parents being in Mexico, they couldn't teach me like, hey, from especially working from home. Oh, like, I don't yeah. know if your guys' jobs. Oh, you work from home too? <laughs> I'm I'm like a hybrid. Like, gotcha. I, we have an office, but there's like three days out of the week that I go to the office. Okay, yeah. And so working from home, I'm like, oh, this
1: is college. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> you just wiggle the mouse a little bit and just start <laughs> playing games. Don't say and that it's on easy. camera. <laughs> well, it's easy to get distracted. Is the point? Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think the discipline, especially now that I'm thinking about my own experience from college, is yeah, you learn a lot of that through because you know with all of us all three of us we were heavily involved in you know outside external activities that we needed to show up and be responsible for so I think that you hit the nail on the head it's a really good way of just teaching you time management Um, but I think it's also a good segue of what you're doing now with communities and schools Um, as you've explained it before we talked on the podcast you kind of focus on helping students in their overall life, not just school. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back to what you were saying is, you know, you don't want this feeling of hopelessness, you don't, you don't want that feeling on somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd like to know a little bit more around like how that, how you help kind of curb that with the program that you're Mm -hmm. responsible for.
0: Yeah. So, so with our program is we have uh, site coordinators, um, at each school. And so traditionally, a lot of, like, exterior programs or nonprofits or any entity that comes into a school usually does, like, before or, like, after-school programming. Um, Our program focus is there throughout the entire school day. And that goes back to that thing of, like, helping the whole student. Mm -hmm. So we don't just help. uh, And traditionally, schools have also just focused, like, on Really, academics for the most part, and and the part part the reason for that is because that's all they like can expand to. Like, they're just uh, most schools are short-staffed, especially right. right now, and so a lot of the times they're operating very reactively. And so, having a program like us allows us to sit down with students because they're sc- students we case manage and really sit down and look at their needs, assess their needs. Right, the school doesn't have time to sit down and be like, hey, what are your needs? Mm-hmm. Right, so we we sit yeah. we do. We yeah. sit down with our case managed students and we literally assess them like, what are your needs? And we create goals, right? We try to be proactive, like goals. Oh, this, this is what you're going to try to achieve and like really motivate the kids and inspire them. Not just in high school, we do K through 12. So we start ingraining these type of things since they start going to school. Right. And wow. so, yeah. And in working with them, a lot of the time you find some of those gaps and some of those things that are missing because again, traditionally school, if a kid is struggling in math, They need math tutoring. Mm -hmm. That's not the way we think. If a kid is struggling at math, what's going on that's preventing him from succeeding? And sometimes they're just hungry. They don't have food at home, right? Or they have an abusive dad or they're afraid of like deportation, right? Like all these other things. So we dig into it, find it. And a lot of the time it is us working with the family, the parent, connecting and supporting them so that then they can support their child so that then they can succeed. Oh, gotcha.
1: So you kind of look at like the root cause of what's inhibiting them from learning, and that's exactly. what you try to
2: fix. What are some of the most common issues that you see in students?
1: It varies. Um, and we
0: also work, we primarily focus in rural communities. Um, so a lot of like nonprofits primarily focus in more urban settings. So the needs are also drastically different. Um, the demographics could also vary, but um, where we're at, poverty is very common and so poverty is just a can full of
1: worms right like i mean it's just
0: everything it's food right we have weekend backpack programs that we do so kiddos at the end of the week come we give them meals for the rest of the week right um and so with that sometimes it's behavioral issues so we'll have kids that like lash out in school because they're angry at the world because there's a lot of stuff going on um drug parents that do like drug or alcohol abuse um kids living with like other people that aren't their parents. Right. So behavior is pretty common where, you know, they
2: lash out because they're just mad. Wow, And that's so crazy. And I think it's important to state that because, you know, some people, they just judge a book by its cover and they see a kid who's acting out, maybe at the store, maybe you're just walking down the street and you just judge a book by its cover. But, you know, programs like yours, they're actually helping the root cause and helping the kid, you know, at the, at the root of the issue, you know, at home.
0: Mm -hmm. and that that's one of the things that i've been privileged to have the opportunity to support as we develop our affiliate in staffing and so that's one of the things that i focus on make sure that like the staff that we hire match the the demographics of, of the the school right and so i know schools might not be set up where they're matching the demographics of their student but if i can do anything to try to like uh, represent that one student that feels alone like i'm gonna hire somebody to try to represent that student right so in doing so it allows us to have conversations with kids and they're more willing to open up because they feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and they feel like hey this is my one person here and so i I, there's one experience that i can think of with the behavioral thing is i would take the kids during lunch to play basketball and there's a kid that just lashed out at me just mad really freaked out and i was like hey like it's cool man like go talk to the principal. Like, I'm not going to get you in trouble. I'm not someone to get you in trouble. Like, so he went and talked to the principal later on. I pulled him out of class and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? I was like, I know here, they know you as a bad student to me or like the troubled student, if you will, or whatever. And I was like, to me, what that tells me is there's something going on. Why are you mad? What's going on in your life? And I became that one go-to person. Whenever he was going to like lash out at the teacher, he would just go to my class and he'd just start venting. And then like I started to tell like the school and the teachers what was going on in this kid's life and
2: they're like, oh my God. What? No That's, wonder he's mad. Wow. And Nobody's so, probably ever asked them that, right? Yeah.
0: Nobody sat down like, dude, uh, you're mad. They just what? why are you mad? Yeah. Like what and then so then he'd tell like the surface level, like, oh well, you wouldn't let me do this or that. And I'm like, nah,
2: you're not mad at that. You're mad at something else. Do you think labels are important too? Like when you label a student, like that's a bad student, they kind of fit that criteria, right? Because they're already put with that label.
0: And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. It's they're problematic for sure. And it's, it's really difficult not to do it. Right. As humans, sometimes it's, it's hard. Right. And so teachers talk to each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, if a kid was like a troubled or whatever student in kindergarten, When he goes up to like the first grade, second grade, third grade teachers, they're telling each other like, oh, this student, this, this, that. And so then the teacher starts approaching that student different. And then that student remembers what certain approaches meant. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to lash out. Mm. lash out. Right. So like, yeah, they are problematic for sure. And a lot of the time it's it's having conversations like that. I'm a sociology major and I tend to overanalyze everything.
1: Um, and, And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that helps kind of put a paint a picture in your head where this kid is coming from. Right. And so developing that line of empathy is really important when you're trying to help a student's overall life, not just, you know, making sure that they go to school. So I think that's really cool. Um, how many kids then are you able to say how many kids are in this program in general?
0: Yeah. So uh, on average, communities in schools our nonprofit uh, asks that we uh, do a 10 percent minimum of the student body. Oh, okay. So based on your school. So if you have a school of, you know, right. 100 kids, it's 10. But uh, so again, since we've focused in rural, we're kind of in a way like a little bit of pioneering the way it looks. And so sometimes a smaller school district. So, for example, one of the schools that we serve has about 175 students. So, you know, 25 students. That's a very small caseload. So there 20 students is very small. So we do like 30. Round up um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. So it can it can vary. Um, but again, a lot of the time, those students are very high intensity. Yeah, so they have a lot of everything's going on in their lives. Right. So we just kind of it's a fine balance where, you know, it's it's our uh, admin staff uh, communicating with our site coordinators to try to find a fine balance
2: for them and their school. How can people donate to the program? Yeah,
0: so as, as we're starting, people can go on our website. So it's and communities we'll, and schools of North Central Washington. And at the very bottom, there's a donate section. So if anybody wants to donate uh, right there, the little hand. Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. And so people people can go on the website. They can reach out to me. So if they if they have like a specific like thing, like we have people all the time where they're like, hey, or they'll reach out to me like, hey, what can we help out with? Because we're right. working with the communities. Another thing, that a conversation that I just had with a potential donor this past week was um, that a lot of the time what happens is that people come and they try to donate like the same thing. And we have like excess amount of things so for example the winter like everybody's like oh my god it's getting cold kids need jackets and boots right so sometimes and there's a lot of like nonprofits that we're connected with that help us out a lot not to say that we don't need jackets and boots because truth is we probably do but um, a lot of the times we'll know like very niche things that we may need
1: as well so I know tax season's coming up, so if y'all need write-offs, hit me up. Yeah, it's a 501 C. it's a non <laughs> so you can get that tax deduction. We'll have all the links in the description of the YouTube video. Um, but I, what I want to do now is kind of pivot into something else that you're really passionate about. It's this screen printing business. So, um, obviously, at the beginning of the podcast, we mentioned that you do all of our apparel items for Dripped. Yeah, I just want to talk about, like, what got you into screen printing? Because that mm-hmm. is such a, such a powerful skill that... A lot of people don't have and you don't really see people just start a hobby like that
0: mm-hmm. yeah so again c- cool thing is that they actually offered screen printing in my high school in Wisconsin and I remember same thing thing like oh this is so interesting so cool like I want to take this class and so I took the class in high school one class in high school I mean how much could I have actually learned yeah <laughs> point is is like I had done the thing before like I, I had like a kind of idea and so once I graduated from high school and once I finally was living like not paycheck to paycheck. So I started to accumulate a little bit of a savings. I I wanted to do more with that money. I didn't want it just sitting there and I was like, Oh, and at the time I was working at the college and there's a lot of clubs and a lot of constant need for t-shirts. And what I found was that a lot of the companies that do exist in screen printing, they don't want to do smaller jobs. They want these massive jobs and like they have all these requirements. And I was like, well, I kind of know how to do this. I wonder how much, machines are worth you know so then i started doing research into that and i was like oh sure why not and so i just kind of started dumping money into that um kind of my savings into screen printing stuff and so it was kind of challenging at first because a lot of it a huge component of it is graphic design Mm -hmm. um, as well um even if people send you like if they design things you still have to convert it a lot of the time in many different ways for it to be printable and based on what you're printing, what you're printing, how you want it to look, it can change. Yeah. So right. um, I took a lot of like uh, classes on on Adobe.
1: <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> on, they on, provide on, those resources for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I took a couple of those classes on like, you know, graphic design, YouTube. huge, Yeah, Adobe huge. All. Um, If it, I ever. And so that's the beauty, too, that school taught me. Like, I genuinely feel like I can learn anything. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care what it is. I can learn it. And I'm like, right. I don't know, graphic, t- dude, it's, I, I can YouTube it. Like, how do I do this? And it pops up, right? So.
1: Yeah. Um, Isn't that crazy? It used to be a huge <laughs> barrier for us to to do something because we didn't know what to do. And the risk of failure or wasting money on something would prevent us from actually trying. But With YouTube, you just see what somebody else is doing and just mirror that same exact process. It's amazing. Yep. So, um, I guess, tell me a little bit about like the complexity around wh- what goes into screen printing. because. I think, I feel like a lot of people think that you just put a shirt down and you just (laughs) wipe some paint on it and call it a day. But you're saying, I mean, obviously it's a a, a really involved process. Mm -hmm. Um, Just tell us a little bit about like what that looks like for you. Yeah. It's so funny. So many people and a lot of the time, actually,
0: for like my return customers, I actually ask that they come a lot of the time, like, Hey, come in, come in. Like when they come to pick up their things or whatever, I'm like, Hey, come in so I can show them the setup. And then they see it and they're like, Oh. Like this is what oh. you guys are doing. <laughs> like they they often think like uh, heat transfer vinyl because that's like the common oh thing. yeah They're like oh dude I yeah. thought you were just like pressing the thing on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just ten seconds done. Like I was like, why is this guy taking forever? You yeah, know? Right. And then like usually like I walk him through everything, and so yeah. So back to like I guess kind of the way it, it kind of works. A lot of it starts with the design. Mm. Well, it starts with the conversation with the person. And so a lot of the time is having conversations like, hey, what are you looking for? Um, And the other thing is pricing. Like sometimes I feel like people think like I'm being rude or something. Like he doesn't want to just give me a price. And it's like, well, it it varies, right? It It really does. The garment that you're printing on. So if you're printing on a darker garment um, and you want like a vivid colors, you need to lay a white. Mm -hmm. So a darker garment will be more expensive than a lighter garment. So I need to have all these conversations. How many colors? Uh, And so I hate to just like text it. Because I'm like, well, I can adapt it. We can like edit your design. Right. Like, I can I'll be affordable. I'll give you the best price. Yeah. Let's just talk. What do you want? What do you want to pay? And so a lot of the time, like we will, I will have those conversations or if if people just want like a text, I'll send a text. And sometimes it like it pushes them away. But a lot of it and then they come back later yeah, when they go right. get other quotes okay so um
1: <laughs> this guy's trying to charge me
2: three grand yeah. for, some shirts, man. Oh, for a minimum
1: of like <laughs> 300 oh fuck. okay yeah. i guess yeah. uh edgar was actually giving me a yeah. fair price
2: oh, that's cool <laughs> man you're doing a lot for real yeah. like you're doing great things you know for the community with communities and schools and you're also doing the screen printing which is like a hobby of yours really right
0: yeah, that that's more so what it is. I and I don't I don't consider it like any sort of like form. It's just passive like income. Like right. oh, let me hang out. And even though it's not hanging out, trust me, it's a lot of hours. <laughs> it's a grind. Yeah, like, it's like a it's grind, Just man. to make a screen that the thing has to dry. Like just to make a screen to make the stencil, if you will, to print can take like two days.
1: The right? yeah. <laughs> You have to yeah. let it dry and yeah, cure and all that. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. crazy. So you're doing a lot, man, but I appreciate the time that you took to come down and join us for this episode. Um, I, I, I can't imagine it wasn't an eye-opening experience for many people, especially ones who grew up in a, in a really um, you know difficult environment to, to succeed in. And so I'm glad that you're doing it um, and you're providing a, a good example and being a good role model and yeah. also giving back to the community through your through the work that you do in communities and schools, man. So really proud of you, man. Thank you for coming through. (laughs) No, thank
0: you guys for having me. It's an honor. I hope I live up to the standard of your guys' guests in here. Oh, man, you blew it away. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story, Edgar. Yeah, thank you.
1: And uh, make sure to like, subscribe, and catch us next time. We have more episodes coming every Wednesday. Um, And so, yeah, stay tuned.